want to start this morning with a question. What is the opposite? And it's kind of rhetorical. You don't have to answer it. But what is the opposite of faithfulness? This is what I've been pondering on for the past week or so. What is the opposite of faithfulness? And I think that's the next thing that Jude writes about in his letter. So turn over to the book of Jude. We're going to look at the opposite of faithfulness. We're going to read verses 5 through 11 or so. So track with me. You can read along in your Bible. Jude 5 through 11. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all these things once for all. In other words, you've heard these things. These things have been passed on, taught, preached. You, you know all of these things. That the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh. Remember, he's, he's warning the church of people that can sneak into the church and lead people astray. So that's... Um, just to remind you that that's a lot of what he's talking about. He says, But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revel the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. And then he says, Woe! To them. And that word woe actually means curses upon these. He says, For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of uh, Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And I want to pause right there because what Jude is talking about, kind of in this middle section of the book, really can be summed up with what he said about Korah. They perished in the rebellion of of Korah. Rebellion is the opposite of faithfulness. If you're writing things down, write this down. Rebellion is the antithesis of faithfulness. Now, I was really proud of myself for using that word. You know what I mean? I've never used that word in my life. And I thought, what a great word. It's like something about that word has this superhero-esque feel to it. You know what I mean? The antithesis of, you know what I mean? <laughs> but think about it. <laughs> Think about this, the arc or the arch enemy of faithfulness is rebellion. The arch enemy of faithfulness is rebellion. Think of faithfulness as the hero and rebellion, rebellion as the villain. And that's, that's the play. That's the thing that's in play against those two things. And if you look at Jude, he gives actually six examples of this villain at work. He, said, he talks about Israel, how the Lord rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but, uh, but some of them didn't remain faithful. He talks about the angels who didn't stay with the limits of authority, but left the place where they belonged. Some people believe that's talking about the angels who chose Lucifer's rebellion to follow him. Over. He talks about that in Revelations. Some people believe that talks about the angels who had relations with the daughter of men. Remember over in Genesis 6, and it produced the Nephilim, the giants of the land. You know, it doesn't really matter. Either one, um, there's, ultimately he's talking about rebellion. He says Sodom and Gomorrah were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. 
He talks about the footsteps of Cain. We know that Cain, uh, Cain gave God leftovers uh, as an offering. Balaam, if you haven't read this story, it's very interesting. You're like, I cannot believe someone would do this. But Balaam basically was a prophet who used his gift for financial gain. You're like, are you kidding me? Don't you know God has lightning on his fingertips, dude? And then, of course, he ends with um, Korah and how Korah rebelled. He specifically rebelled against Moses. And you can see uh, that and read that in the, in the uh, book of Numbers, chapter 16. But I think that, that thing that he talks about with, with Korah kind of sums up what's going on in all six of those examples. And I want to give you a, a definition that's not going to wow us or anything. I think we would all agree. Rebellion ultimately is the resistance to authority. Rebellion is resistance to authority. So where there is authority, um, uh, when we don't want to submit or obey or um, follow the advice of, or however you want to phrase it, what that is, is it's rebellion, whether it starts off small or whether it's a big rebellious act. uh, Rebellion can be defined as resistance to authority. Now, there are um, definitely things in this, in this book and in all those stories, the six stories there that you can learn from. I really encourage you guys to go back and read each of those accounts. And, and we have the scripture up there. Maybe you wrote those down of where those can be found. Go back, read them, look at how each of those scenarios points to rebellion um, and, uh, and how the villain really wins and uh, the, the consequences that the people have to pay. And we're going to talk about that next week, considering the consequences But what I want to do this week is I want to look at an example of our hero, faithfulness, saving the day. So turn to Genesis chapter 39. This is the story of Joseph. We're obviously not going to read the whole story. We're going to pick up where Joseph makes it to Egypt, sold into slavery in Egypt. The heading over this section in my Bible says, Joseph's success in Egypt. Y'all there? Remember, we're looking at an example of how faithfulness wins. You know? Faithfulness rips open his shirt, saves the day. There was no phone booths back then. I don't know how he did it. Okay, let's start uh, just verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. Verse 4 says, So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he owed he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything, Potiphar left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with them there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now, can I ask you a question? What is the best word to describe Joseph's role in Potiphar's life? A steward. We know that 
Joseph was a servant, but listen, Joseph was more than a servant. He had the privilege of becoming the steward. Everything that Potiphar had was entrusted to Joseph. Look at verse 6. It says that Potiphar did not concern himself. In other words, he didn't think twice about it. He completely trusted Joseph, and it says, with everything except the food which he ate. In other words, the only time Potiphar even needed to think is whenever he's deciding, am I going to eat this first or eat this first? Am I going to drink the, uh, the Dr. Pepper or the choice wine? You know what I mean? It's the only time he had to think. He entrusted that with Joseph. By the way, what did Paul say over in 1 Corinthians 4? What did Paul say about the believer? He said, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. God has entrusted us with everything he has. That may sound funny. Obviously, there's things that we don't, and there's knowledge we don't understand and, and, and all that, but, but I still want to make that statement that way. God has entrusted us with everything that he has, his love, his son, his Holy Spirit, and that's the mystery, that God would entrust us with those things, that he would trust us to empower us with those things. Isn't that cool? Look at verse 6. It says, now, so we know that, that, um, that he was a steward. Potiphar trusted him. And then it says, now, Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. In other words, the dude had a body and he was beautiful. He was buff and beautiful. Not that that's a bad thing, but look what happens. It says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. <coughs> Excuse me. And it came about after these events that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, looked with desire at Joseph. In other words, um, was attracted to him, lusted after him, and said to him, said to Joseph, lie with me. In other words, she made a pass at Joseph. She uh, came on to him and wanted to have sexual relations with him. And at this time, what I would love to do is give you another definition of rebellion. We talked about how it's uh, resistance against authority, but I want to give you the definition of uh, the Hebrew word for rebellion, and it's a breach of trust. The Hebrew word for rebellion is defined as a, a breach of trust. And I think about how Potiphar's wife was not a trustworthy wife. And listen, this isn't the first time that she did this. In fact, over in verse 10, it says that she spoke to Joseph day after day. So it wasn't like one day she just got caught up with her eyes. Like, he's so good looking, I can't help myself. No, this was something that was planned for, that she approached him day after day. In other words, this was a character flaw in Potiphar's wife. She was not a faithful person. She was not someone that could be trusted. She was entering into a breach of trust when she tries to seduce Joseph. By the way, in this act, Potiphar's wife was leading a rebellion. I don't know if you've ever thought about that as you've, if you've read this, but Potiphar's wife was leading a rebellion. You have to remember, this is what Jude is warning against with the ungodly. The ungodly who will come in like wolves in sheep's clothing and steer people away from the faithfulness to the Lord. So in this moment, 
Potiphar, uh, his wife, is like the leader of a rebellion. It's just, you know, I think if you look back at those six, those six examples that Jude gave, you know, with each one of those, there's almost always, um, well, there is always one way or the other, um, a, a leader of that rebellion, someone that plants a thought or an idea or an accusation or whatever that causes. And that's exactly what Korah did. He raised up against Moses and had all these people, 200-something people after Moses. You know, are you the only one that can hear God? Can we not hear God? Why are you the one that gets to go up and do all these things? So it starts, you know, with someone leading that rebellion. And here it's Potiphar's wife. But here's what I love. Look at verse 8. It says, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. First of all, I love that he refused. Everybody say, refused. Come on, with a little umption. Refused. This is big. This is important. Joseph refused this rebellion. And he said to his master's wife, to Potiphar's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. In other words, he trusts me with everything. You're coming on to me. You got this rebellious thought. You got this, um, you're trying to lead me out of, out of this position that I have here as steward. Look what he says. He has put all that he owns in my charge. I am the steward, and he trusts me. If you're writing things down, write this down real quick. To be found faithful, we must refuse rebellion. When rebellion comes our way, and it will, it'll come as a thought. Maybe it'll end up in the heart. And if it festers in those two places, it will become an action. Rebellion usually starts with an attitude. It usually starts with an attitude, some sort of a thought, something that's planted by the enemy or by someone else. That rebellious thought, it can, if we entertain it, you know, Scripture says to take thoughts captives, take your thoughts captives. If we don't do that, then what happens is that kind of makes its way into our heart and it begins to fester. You know, and out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks, you know, and our hands will act. And so before we know it, we can become um, a, a walking rebel as it pertains to the faith because rebellion is the arch enemy of faithfulness. To be found faithful, we must refuse rebellion. Look what he says next. There is no one greater in the house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. And I thought about this week. I looked at that and I thought, wow, there are two. I wasn't going to share this, but I have to. There are two thoughts that we need to think about really quick. What we can do to to remain faithful. Faithfulness requires a person to be secure in who you are and what you're called to do. Think about that. Look what he says. There's no one greater in this house than I. I mean, he knew his position. He knew what he was up to. He knew what was going on. And look what it says. And he has withheld nothing from me except you. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the task is at hand. And you ain't part of that task. So you want to be a person that's found faithful, you better get secure real quick in who you are in Christ. Because when you're secure and solid in who you are, man, there's not a whole lot that can deter you from what you're supposed to be doing. It's becoming solid. A lot of the unfaithfulness that we see in life and in marriages is people struggling with who they are. 
You know, some of those things happen during what we call a midlife crisis. Well, what do you think that points to? Someone's wigging out about who they are. It doesn't matter if you're in your midlife season or not. If Christ is in your life, you don't have to go through a midlife crisis. When Christ is the center of your attention and you know that everything that you are and all that you do revolves around who he is and who you are in him, you do not have to worry about being led into rebellion because you are held in faithfulness, who you are and what you do. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you. And here you are doing what you're doing (laughs) because you are his wife. And then he says, then how could I do that? And how could I do this great evil and sin against God? Again, he knew who he was. And then in verse 10, it says, And she spoke to Joseph day after day after day after day. But look what it says about Joseph. He did not listen to her. Who knows how many advances she made upon him? Who knows how many times Joseph was faced with this temptation, this thought, this rebellious um, seed planted into him. And you know what? I don't know if she was ugly or not, but let's assume that she wasn't. You know, Joseph was a man. He was a, in fact, he was a good-looking, built, buff guy. He's probably just like us. That's not what I meant. Everybody in this place is buff and beautiful. So you got to get solid on that. You're beautiful. God loves you. And doggone it, people like you. you know, what I meant was, <laughs> is that we're sexual beings. You know? Uh, we're not going to hang a lot right here, but listen. Uh, the temptation that he was faced with is not an uncommon temptation for men or women. Some of us have seeds planted into us at work or at school, or on the computer, or this. I mean, there's, it comes from all kinds of places. Again, I don't want to harp on it, but listen. Um, we get faced with the same types of temptation that Joseph was faced with. But look, and, and you know what? Day in and day out. Day in and day out. But listen, we've got to have the same uh, security that Joseph had, the same understanding of who he was, what he was called to do, love and relationship with God the Father, And we have to not listen to the temptress, the rebel. We've got to refuse like Joseph did. Refuse the rebellion. Listen, it's all around us. We've talked about that. In the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, and a whole list of things, revelers, deceitful. That's the age that we live in. So to think in this, in that scripture, he's actually talking about people within the church. The unfaithfulness that's even found in the church. Having a form of godliness, but not denying its power. Stay away from such people. Wherever rebellion creeps in, refuse. Even if it's just a thought, refuse it. Don't let it, don't let it move from your head to your heart. Because as surely as it does, it will manifest into your actions. Amen? Joseph didn't give up. He knew what was right. And I want you to write this. The reason he did what was right, knew what was right, is because Joseph lived in immoral Egypt. 
but he served a holy God, and he knew it. This is very similar to us. Listen, we live in immoral Egypt. All around us, it's just immoral, ungodly, all over the place. And it's not just that we swim in that pool. There's piranha in that pool. The fish are trying to bite. The fish are trying to draw blood. Am I talking to anybody that lives in this earth? That's why Jesus prayed. He said, you know what? I'm not praying, Father, that you take them out of this world. They're to be in the world. But you give them what it takes to be found faithful. And Joseph was someone that resisted. Not just resisted, refused. And even ran from. We'll talk about that next week. He ran from it. It's a beautiful story of, of what God does there throughout the course of his life. But because he refused... Yes, he ended up in prison because he was set up. But what if he hadn't? We'll talk about that next week. Be found faithful. Have the attitude, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You know, when the opportunity comes, whatever temptation it is, and it could be more than just sexual, it could be something deceitful, it could be all kinds of things. When it comes, ask yourself, how could I sin? How could I do this great evil and sin against God? We just don't ask ourselves those questions. Usually we're thinking, what can I get out of this? And can I keep it hidden? Can I do this in private and no one else find out? I believe we have way too much of a private life than God intends for us. And we, Melissa and I years ago did a... Um, a retreat in our youth group. It was called Privacy or Purity. And the title meant, it was, a, it was a, basically a, a sex conference talking about sexuality and stuff. And that title was basically say, which do you want? Do you want your privacy or do you want your purity? Because usually you can't have both. Because when we remain a private person, keeping our, our heart, our thoughts, our actions in secret, we're usually not going to remain a pure person got to have people around us aware of our uh, temptations, struggles, so that they can say, hey, how are you doing with that? And we're all of a sudden, we're like, and we can still lie, and many do. But when the Holy Spirit combined with another believer is at work in your life, it's hard to mess up. It really is. It's like, uh, you know. I want to end with this scripture in 1 John 4. It says, we are from God. Could you guys say that? I am from God. One more time. If you're not from God, would you get from God? Not get from God. Would you get in God and then be His? I love that that's the way it starts out, though. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. And of course, this is John, one of the apostles. Last week we talked about how the faith... Fight for the faith is a way of saying the body of truth that has been passed down from the apostles. Like in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So one of the apostles here is saying, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. In other words, sound doctrine, teaching. And not just doctrinal teaching, moral teaching. 
All of it goes together. The, the life that we are to live. He who is not from God does not listen to us. In other words, and it's not even he's saying so much listen to us, but listen to the truth of the gospel. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know, and I, li- I like this, the spirit of truth, we know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And this is really important because I think this is where people are just wigging out. They haven't taken the time to, again, get their foundation in God, to remain in Him, abide in Him, He and the Lord in them. And because of that, they're not, in the moment, not able to differentiate what is from the Spirit, what is truth, and what is just flat-out error. And another way of saying that is flat-out rebellion. You guys stand with me. Am I talking to anybody in this room today? Listen, I told you that the same urgency that Jude began writing this letter is within myself and and our leadership. My wife and I are tired of hearing the stories of people just flipping out. It's like, what are you thinking? Why would you do that? How did you do that? God is so good. God is so faithful. Like Sean talked about this morning. How did that happen? Last week we talked about how, you know what? People just aren't wrestling, struggling intensely for the faith, the body of truth, doctrinally and morally, to stay with God. And I'm not the one who said this. I'm not the one who said in the last days, some will fall away. The Apostle Paul said it, and he was a sharp dude. If we're going to listen to him about on so many of his other teachings, we have to understand that he knew what he was talking about there. I'm seeing it, and some of you may be seeing it. And listen, bottom line is some of you may be on the edge of it. And I want to encourage you, stand firm. Fight the good fight of faith. Resist the devil. Let him flee. Let him get out of town. Refuse rebellion. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. Cling to the love of the Lord. Press into God. I don't know how else to say it. This is important. Eternity is on the line. Your reputation is on the line. Maybe you're... Family's reputation is on the line. Maybe your spouse's reputation is on the line. Maybe your kid, maybe your employer. Be faithful in all that you do, in everything that you do. Faithfulness requires a person to be secure in who you are and what you do. Are you a husband? Be a faithful husband. Are you a father? Be a faithful father. Are you a friend? Be faithful. Are you an employee? Be faithful to your employer.